Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Fear to Fortitude podcast. This episode contains sensitive material, including sexual assault and hate crimes. Please use discretion in listening to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to the Fear to Fortitude podcast. I'm your host, Coach Latavia Renee, the Fortitude Coach. Today I have with me David Kick. I will give him a few moments to introduce himself and then we'll get started. David? Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, my name is David Keck and I um, live in Tennessee. Um, I am an open gay man and six years ago I was a victim of a hate crime. And since then, I've been proactive in um, self-help and recovery and self-care. And I created a podcast called Surviving Abuse Podcast, which is what led me to you. Awesome. And I've got to tell everyone, if you have not checked out the Surviving Abuse Podcast, please do so. It is really a wonderful podcast and you will not be disappointed. So, David, I'm going to let you start. Anywhere in your story that feels natural for you to start, and I'll start asking you questions just to dig a little deeper and just know if there's anything that you're uncomfortable with, you're welcome to say that you don't want to answer it. I can even edit that out if you would like. So whatever feels good for you, comfortable for you, safe for you, that's what we'll do. So take it away. Great. Thank you. Um, So like I mentioned in the introduction, I uh, am an open gay man and I am from the South, but I never knew hate existed. I seen it on TV, but it was very foreign to me. I'm very blessed with an open-minded family and friends. I know so many people that would have went through what I went through um, as a victim and laid there and died because they wouldn't have the support that I had. I want to pay that forward. I I want to build a platform. One thing that I had noticed is that men especially don't have a platform. Um, they're, They're not very vocal about abuse. And then it becomes generational abuse. And I, I wanted to stop with me as much as I can. Um, So I guess a little bit of my story of what happened to me that night is I was going through a breakup and I'm not good with breakups. I have abandonment issues. I get in my feelings, you know, and, um, and it was a friend's birthday. There is a little karaoke bar that we go to. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I actually pretty much know all of my friends and I have met most of my friends is from this bar. It's uh, a little cheers place. Everybody knows everybody. I've, it is a, a heterosexual bar, but I never felt like I wasn't welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends had called me to come have a couple of drinks and sing a couple of songs to get me out of my emotions and to celebrate my friend's birthday. Um, there was a guy there that surveillance cameras show that I had left the table with my friends mm-hmm. at, to go to the restroom and he had stopped me to um, ask me a couple of questions. I answered his questions and went to the restroom by myself. I came out of the restroom, walked right past and went to my table with friends. We finished our drinks, sang our last song, paid our tab 
and left the bar. Surveillance cameras show us leaving together and it shows him leaving three minutes later. Um, the next thing I know, my body is found 18 hours later. They're pretty much pronouncing me dead. And then my foot moves and the detective was like, okay, the, this guy isn't dead. Uh, I spent some time in the hospital, pretty much had to learn how to walk again. I'm not a very big guy. Um, this is the biggest I've ever been. I'm actually very, the healthiest I've ever been now. Um, but at the time I was maybe 130, 140 pounds and I got down to 98 pounds. I went through a horrible depression. Um, the I was very open and when, when my story became public, I, again, didn't know hate existed. So I thought if everyone's going to see me, everyone's going to hear my story and they're going to love and support me. And that's what I need right now. And this will bring awareness to the gay community. Um, so I was all about it. Little did I know that that wouldn't necessarily be the outcome. So death threats started happy, happening um, online to the point that police officers were having to monitor my home. Right. Um, I was I actually had to move in with my grandmother because I could have lived by myself. So you received death threats. Yeah. Because you were attacked. Yeah. People wanting to finish the job. The, um, the news reporter went to the police station and got a copy of the police report, which is his confession. Mm-hmm. And he said in his confession that he did what he did to me because I sexually propositioned him. Um, in court, he confessed that that wasn't true, that he thought that if he said that to the good old boy policeman, that they would go easy on him and it would justify him doing what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, after this and before court is when it came out that he had um, also raped me and sexually abused me. It wasn't just giving me a black guy. He spent, um, he said that he spent around two hours uh, raping me and abusing me and until he thought I had died. And then he called his girlfriend from my phone and confessed to murder. And at the time he said that he had told her that I was flopping like a fish out of water. And then I stopped. And that's when he was like, okay, I've, I've killed this dude. So he stole my car, my credit cards and my cash. Mm-hmm. I went bar hopping um, got drunk, wrecked my car, which is what led to my body being found is when the cops came to the police scene, they were finding my credit cards. Uh, the registration of the car was in my name. And so he confessed to murder. Wow. I'm actually kind of speechless. Okay. That's a lot. It so the reason why I wanted to have you on and wanted you to have a space to share your story with us is because I have seen the result of a lot of hard work, I'm sure, self-work, uh, of getting back on your feet and being bold enough to put your story out there. And not only that, to create a support system for other people. And then on top of that, to create a community that is supportive and a podcast to where people can share their voice and share their story. So then the story just keeps on blessing other people, even though it was quite tragic. That's that's terrible. I am so sorry that happened to you. And I know you've heard that a thousand times. So I'm really wondering how you were able to 
take the first step to getting any sort of peace of mind or any sort of normalcy back in your life after that trauma? It definitely took some time. I went through the, everyone else was blaming the victim. Um, I began to also blame the victim. People were writing and telling my story for me. I had no memory of it. All I could do was believe every new story that was coming out. And, you know, people were saying, oh, I know David and he was probably uh, high and I don't do drugs. Uh, there was a drug, uh, a drug test done um, to see if I had been date raped and even marijuana didn't show up in it. You know, there was absolutely no drugs, but I, because I had no regulation, I began to doubt myself, which is where the weight loss and everything came in. I, um, I didn't like me. I didn't, I, I, I hated that this man did not finish the job. He had one job and he couldn't even do that right is how I felt. And then I started feeling like, you know, maybe he did do his part. And this is to show me that I'm not the person that I think that I am, that this is, this is my hell. And then finally, one day I was kind of slapped in the face and, and woke up. And it was through therapy, you know, I am, am a part of a great therapy organization here that I've, that I've been with since. Mm -hmm. And at first I was forced to go and I hated it. Um, I, I was having to speak about things that I didn't have the answers to. I was asked questions that I, that I didn't have the answers to. Mm-hmm. And finally I walked in one day and, and the, the lady's name is Melinda and she is my heart. Like she has saved my life, but I walked in one day and I was just so frustrated. And I said, I said, Melinda, you're a doctor. Why am I not fixed? I am supposed to be fixed. I've been coming to you for two months. And she said, David, my job is not to fix you. My job is to provide you with the tools and the resources to fix yourself. And that has stayed with me. I remember that every day. And that is what started motivating me to, you know, now I did, I didn't get to choose the path that I was put on the guy, the path that this, this man put me on, but I'm now in the driver's seat of this car. And I get to choose now. I get to gain control now. And that one statement is what taught me that. And from then on is when I started looking into motivational quotes. And this, even what people would think would be so silly, my, my bathroom mirror is covered in post-its of just random things that I hear that's motivating because when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to remind myself to love me and that it's okay to do so. Awesome. I'm feeling kind of a shift in your energy, even when we're talking to where you get to the point of the story where you start claiming back control. And I know that's incredibly powerful after someone has taken that from you in such a way that you really have to fight for it back. When did you really have it sink in that truth that I am in control? I'm now in control. And what effect did that have on you? 
I can honestly say that I don't know that it has completely sunk in yet. Um, it, it's still a journey that I'm on, which is also what led me to the podcast is it's not to just help other people, but it's also to help myself. Yeah. You know, hearing other people's stories and seeing what they've done to survive and, and taking their tools and tips um, is part of what's helping me put the, the fuel in my engine, I guess, um, with, with the driving the car scenario, I guess. But I, I don't know that I'm 100% there. I do feel a change every day. And I feel like it's going to be an ongoing process. I don't want to ever stop this journey because it's not just about healing from my attack, but it's about me being a better, stronger person that loves myself. Right. And that is something that is going to, that's a continuous journey. Right. I love how you pointed out that it's a journey. It's not a one and done. It's something that we get to work on every single day. And I, I feel even a little bit of excitement when you say that, like, it's not defeated. I haven't quite made it there yet. It's like, I haven't quite made it there yet, but it's a journey. And I'm, I'm on that journey every day. You said before that you'd gotten into uh, doing self-work and quotes. I'm curious, what's your favorite quote? What's the one that's helped you the most? The one that um, there's actually a quote in a song that I uh, kind of sing to myself every day. And she says, I've been beaten. I've been bruised. I've been kicked right off my shoes, but I will stand back up. And I remember the moment that I heard it where I was, and I was actually in the bathroom trying to get ready. I could barely lift my legs myself to get in the shower. I, it would take me two hours to, before I could even come out of the bathroom, just trying to do what takes everyone else 30 minutes And um, I had music on and that came on and I heard that quote. I heard that, that clip and and that song and it's just always stuck with me. Um, Another one that I really love is it's very small and very simple, but it says I'm still writing my story. And that's, that's been one of my favorite ones. That's a good one. And that plays right into what you were saying earlier. This is a journey. The, our book of life is still in production. We're still writing it. That's amazing. I love that. And to have part of your, your other quote to be set to music, to me, is that much more powerful because music really is ministry. Right. It can change a whole mood. You know, you can be feeling like you lack confidence or you lack or or you're, you know, sad and put on the right song and it can perk you up, you know, poke your chest right. out and, and give you an attitude. So yeah. I, I love how music was a part of your recovery in that way. Oh, yeah. I'm curious as to what has been one of the greatest lessons that you've learned during your podcast development and talking to your guests. People are so amazingly strong and the the way that people just open up and let you in. And it's something that I think that we all need and we all want to do. It's just having that safe place and that platform to do it. And to, to have these people, I've had so many interviews and people say, you know, I didn't even mean to talk about this but it feels good. 
Yeah. And and to just have for them to have that release and that escape and to be a part of that. Yeah, it's therapeutic. One hundred percent. It really is. Like it, it does so much more for me than than I'm doing for them. I'm sure. I think it's a two way street. I can tell you, I was blessed when I was a guest. <laughs> well, thank you it's for a, that. It's a two way street, and I bring this up a lot on here. It's very important to me. I use the word reciprocity a lot, and one of the blessings in you taking something that was a tragedy and wanting to heal yourself and wanting to help heal the hurt of other people who have been down that road, there's reciprocity. You give and and you receive. As much as you're giving, uh, it's given back to you and blesses you as well. I, I'm wondering what's next for you? What's something that lights you up that you're looking forward to? I am getting such great feedback on this podcast and we are about to close down season one and start season two. And so I'm looking for different way, ways to make it a little different, but but still have that same feel. And I, I love the path that it's going. And I could set and edit and listen to, by the time that I got done with editing and actually getting to release even your story, like I pretty much know by heart. You know, I and I felt like, oh, I just spent another hour with my friend Latavia, you know, and and I I love that. And I want to continue that I could set I, I would love for this to be my full time job. I'm I'm just so in love with it. Yeah. This is what I want my focus to be on. Yeah, I can I can testify to that. One of the one of the things that someone else told me I should give away to free up some time is the editing of the podcast. I'm like, no, that's that's one of the best parts. It's because you get to hear the story again. It blesses you all over again. And so a lot of times when I'm editing, like I'm smiling all the way through the episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I, I feel it's almost like when you're watching a TV show and you watch it again, you see it in a different light. And I think it all depends on what kind of mood you're in too. I know when I'm working my day job and I come in to edit, if I'm feeling a little down and discouraged, you know, the, the person that I'm editing is saying something that's going to make me smile or, or lift me up again. You know, it completely kind of like the music we were talking about. It just completely changes me. And I, I I don't know that I would ever want someone to take that part of yeah. of the job away from me because I get to hear it all over again. I feel like I'm spending time with someone that I have fallen in love with, you know, and, and it, it helps with my connection and my growth. I can just, I really can feel it and see it in you. And I would not be at all surprised if that ended up being your full time, like not at all. Here. Speak it to the universe. Okay. It's out there. <laughs> we have put it out there and I, I wholeheartedly believe in the results of that. So I'm curious, just in this, this space, what's on your heart to share right now? I battle constantly with different fears. Yeah. What has been weighing down on me is when is the other shoe going to drop? Every time that my life gets good mm-hmm. um, and I get, when it when I get happy to be happy again, 
I feel like the other shoe is going to drop and something is going to happen. And I feel like I'm speaking that negativity out into the universe, which is creating it. And so I'm trying to break that, that mindset that I have. Um, I, I think that from what I've heard from other people's stories that I think it's just the kind of mindset that victims go through at times. I think that where sometimes I feel like I'm not deserving for the blessings that I have, that something is going to come in tragically and take it away and leave me with another scar. Yeah. And, and that is, that is a daily battle. And sometimes it's worse than others. I am about to, um, I leave Saturday and I'm going on an amazing vacation with my partner and his family. We've been together for three years. They're, they're all so amazing. I'm so blessed to have them. I'm uh, doing so many firsts. I've never flown because I'm afraid to fly. Really? Yeah. And it was on my bucket list to do. It was on my bucket list to do before I turned 40. I turned 40 a few weeks ago, but because of COVID, it didn't happen. So, but a few weeks later I'm doing it. So great. Um, I'm going to um, a country that I've never been to before, and I'm having some great planned experiences there that I've never done before. So there's going to be some first. And when I talk about it, like right now, I get this feeling that something's going to happen. Something's going to happen and take this away from you because you don't deserve it. And damn it, I do. Yes. You, you know, it, it's my brain says one thing and my heart says another. I can never get them on the same page. And that has been one of the toughest obstacles that that I've went through the past several years that I've not been able able to really overcome yet. Yeah. And that's understandable when you've been through something like that. It will cause you to start to question those types of things. But I love how immediately you said that you didn't feel like you deserve it and then called that lie out (laughs) for what it was like. Absolutely. That's a lie. It's absolutely a lie. What you did not deserve was the tragedy that happened to you. It's okay to visit the dark places because it's part of your reality. Um, I just don't unpack my suitcase and live there. It's a, it's a visit. I, I will visit it but I'm not living there. Right. And that's the, uh, that's great wisdom that you're speaking from there. Cause a conflict happens. If you deny something, that's just an indisputable fact. It's a thing that happened. So there's no convincing you it did not happen, but to be able to, to acknowledge it, acknowledge that your response to it is completely human, completely natural and still make the decision, I'm acknowledging that, but I'm not going to live there, that's a game changer. Was that something that you had to learn during the process, or was that something that was kind of already in you? No, it's something that I I get kind of torn on that question. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I... my coming out story was a, a beautiful, great story because of the beautiful, amazing family and friends I have. You know, of course, it was hard, but there wasn't loss or tragedy with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that um, what some people know about me, but hasn't really been shared on um, any of the podcast yet, but to give you all a little insight is 
when I was 11 years old um, and I have a little brother, he was nine. We were with my grandmother, my great grandmother and my great aunt. We were, um, we had actually went all three of their husbands um, had passed away. So we had went to the grave sites, um, which is about an hour away from where we live and was putting flowers on the graves. Um, We have a, lunch while we're there it's in this little country where we stop at this little country store and get sandwich stuff you know and we just make a day out of it um coming home we uh were hit by a drunk driver um it killed my grandmother my great-grandmother and my great-aunt i uh my grandmother who passed away saved my life she i was sitting in the middle of the back seat and when i went to when the car when the impact hit I was going to fly through the windshield, but because of her impact, her arms slung back and knocked me down where I went through the radio. Um, they said I would never walk, talk, or do anything ever again. I would be a complete vegetable. I was out of the hospital within two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my brother survived. We both still have, uh, like I get migraines with it we, we you know we we both still have recovery from it my brother doesn't have a spleen he doesn't have an elbow um he's already got arthritis in in his arm from it you know there there's different repercussions that are coming along with it the um man that hit us um committed suicide three days later um his i think six-year-old granddaughter found him And that's something that she's now going to have to live with. Um, One of the points of me saying that is from that car accident, I'm not the only victim. My brother's not the only victim. Our family is not the only victim. His family is also a victim from my attack. He has children. He had a girlfriend. He has a mom and a dad. They are also victims. Um, One thing that I think where... where I had started learning lessons of tragedy so young as from that car accident. I um, like to sometimes fancy myself as a, as a lyricist. And I wrote a song called highway 33 Mm -hmm. Um, and places like uh, organizations like sad and mad and glad all these against drunk driving places would um, play that song. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it uh, it got a little bit of recognition. Um, I was very open about it. Um, I wanted to, I wanted my car accident to be the last one. Um, my our car accident was the first one in Tennessee to be considered a, a vehicular homicide by a drunk driver. Those laws were passed in my family's name, mm-hmm. and so I think that tragedy and at such a young age taught me how to be a little resilient and how to maybe not live in those dark places. Yeah. Um, but then this one, th- this new tragedy is a whole new tragedy on its own. You can't really compare. Right. Right. So, wow. I'm really, I didn't know that. I knew that you had had the accident, but I didn't know all of the backstory to that. So I'm curious as to what went, are, do you want to share like what some of the parts of your, of your song that you made, like what the words well, were, where they come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course I'm not a singer, so I'm not going to sing it, but what the song is about is called Highway 33. Mm-hmm. And that's the, um, 
the highway that the, the accident happened on. And it, it just talks about, you know, my grandmother and how she still in her last breath was still saving our lives and, and how alcohol and a bottle of pills changed everything. You know, he, he didn't have the intent of killing people. That wasn't his goal, but it's a repercussion of his actions. And, and I'm a drinker, you know, I, I was a bartender. People would ask me all the time as a bartender, how can you bartend when that happened to you? But it wasn't the beer or whiskey that did it. You know, it, it was, it was the irresponsibility of the person with the beer or whiskey. Right. right. And so, so the song, um, I'll have to send you a link to it. The song um, just talks about, you know, the pain that, that we, that so many people suffered and the awareness that, that it brought in the eyes that it opened to, you know, such um, a devastating thing. You know, it, like I said, his, his, I think, I think his granddaughter was six years old. She is going to have that image the rest of her life. She found him yeah. after he had done what he had done. You know, she, I, I hope that she has a great therapist. I hope the best therapist has the best therapist. I think everybody needs yes. therapy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think about those things. It's not just me and my brother. It's not just my dad and my mom. You know, there's a whole community that that is going to, going to struggle and carry people still it's been 28 years and people still remember it and come up to me and talk to me about it. Wow. So I see this theme of music kind of being in your life. So I'm curious, what would be a song that would represent you today? Either one that you would write or one that, that exists. (sighs) Gosh, that's a hard question. That there's so many that comes to mind. The song that I had mentioned about the quote mm-hmm. um, uh, in the beginning, um, that song is called uh, "Stand Back Up," and it's done by one of my favorite bands uh, called. Uh, their name is Sugarland. It's a country band. I love country music. <laughs> no one ever believes that about me, but I do. I write country music. I love country music. Reba McIntyre is my favorite person in this world. <laughs> um, but that, but that song, it it talks about the black eyes, the blue tears. But you're not gonna, you're not gonna steal my happiness. You're not gonna steal my joy. I will stand back up. And and if I had to pick one song to sum me up in three minutes, it would be that one. Awesome. I'm, I'm asking another song question just yeah. because I'm, I really like, like I said before, music is ministry. So I'm asking you these questions and I'm seeing this string of ministry uh, connected in these songs. So if there were going to be a song that would be an empowering theme music that you would be playing when you feel like you're on the mountaintop. We're just imagining like I have, I have healed. I have made it. I no longer feel like the other shoe is going to drop. What's the song that would be playing on the mountaintop? There, um, I've got two. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. One, one would be, um, I'm a survivor by Reba. <laughs> I, <can tire. laughs> I, th- I think that's just a great song that everyone can relate to, even though she's talking about being a single mom and, and things that might not be a part of my story. But, but the, the point of is I got this, I, I'm a survivor. Um, the, the second part is, and I'm going to have to give another shout out to uh, my podcast and mm-hmm. to Natalie and the Damn Shandies. They are some great friends of mine. They're upcoming artists. Mm-hmm. And I had contacted them. Um, we actually met about two years ago mm-hmm. at one of their concerts. And uh, we became Facebook friends and we message each other every day. Like they're just so cool. And I had told them about my story and told them about the podcast and they had listened to some. And then I had the idea of them um, and I kind of collaborating and writing a song and letting it be the intro outro to my podcast, um, which is the new song that uh, is now on the podcast. It's uh, probably it's on your episode, uh, your episode is the first one that the, the song was released on actually. Feels so special. <laughs> yes. And the 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 lyrics, what one that I that I love is he says, um he says, uh I will I forgive me, sorry, I'm trying to get it in my head. Okay. He says, uh I will I'm I'm praying for you and mm-hmm. I'm healing. And, you know, pretty much you're, you're not stealing my joy. That, that is kind of a quote that I've always carried along with me is I let people take it away from me and I had to refine my joy. And that's been a hellacious journey, but I'm getting it back and I refuse to ever let anyone steal it again. Awesome. What would you say to the person who fears that they'll never be able to get their joy back. I would love to be able to have one of those cliche sayings of if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, And and a part of me feels like that's true. Mm -hmm. It is such, it's such hard work. You know, you're, you're going to feel defeated so many times, but when you do have that moment of realization, when you do have, I always think of, you know, those TV shows and movies where someone's acting crazy and the other person slaps them and they calm down. Yeah. I feel like that's what the universe has been doing to me here lately is just slapping me, but in that way of waking me and not hurting me. Mm -hmm. And when, when, for myself is when I accepted the fact that this is my here and this is my now and I can drive this car and I can choose to be miserable or I can choose to enjoy it. I chose to enjoy it. And that's when things started falling into place. So when my advice to someone that when they're having that weak moment and they're beating themselves up is You've been beat up enough, Mm. you know, put your arms around yourself. It's okay. You're allowed to, you're allowed to love yourself. It's okay to be unselfishly selfish. Sometimes it's okay 
to say I and me. And, and we deserve that. Yes. David, I love that answer. That's a much better answer than some neat little cliche with a bow on top. Because what you just what you just shared was a lot of reality, but it had so much hope in it. Yeah. I could see myself needing to hear that. Needing to hear that in the times where it's the toughest. Because there are going to be ups and downs and your answer acknowledged. Some days you just you're gonna feel defeated. And it's going to happen over and over again. But, and that but is a huge deal. But you can you have a choice. And you can choose to love yourself. You deserve it. All of that. That's an amazing answer. Thank you for that. And, you know, I had to take baby steps. And I think that, I think that sometimes we try to jump too hard into something. Yeah. I had to realize that I went, to the bottom of the barrel. Like I did not like who I was. I stopped being funny. I stopped telling jokes. I stopped fixing my hair. I wear bright colors. I stopped. One of the reasons I stopped was because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I didn't want to be seen because what if someone saw me and they wanted to finish the job? Hmm. But then there was also that part of me that did it because I didn't care about myself anymore. You know, what's the point of fixing my hair? What, 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 what's the point of doing the self-care things that I like to do? I love to spray tan. I stopped doing that. I love to go buy new clothes. I stopped doing that. You know, all those things that I enjoy doing for myself, I stopped. And so then when I realized that I hated myself, mm-hmm. I went straight into, okay, I have to love myself again. I've got to fall in love with me. I've got to love, love, love. So I had to be from one extreme to the next. And then I realized, why can't I just like myself? Why can't I start there? Mm. And when I did that, it was kind of a sigh of relief. And then the next day I did something that I kind of liked. And then I patted myself on the back for it because I liked who I was and what I did then. Yeah, It might not have been the whole 24 hours of that day, but in that moment I did it and I recognized it. And so I learned to start locking myself again. And during the time, during that process of locking myself, I began and I'm still in the process of falling in love with myself again. Yeah. I love that you stopped to celebrate even the small victories, which we call them small, but a lot of times those smallest steps are the, they're the most important ones. Cause if you can't take those first small steps, you never get to take a leap. So I love that you said, break this down in the smaller steps. First, let me just start with liking as I'm building towards loving myself again. Yeah. That's, well, that's you know, and, and if you don't mind, here's another story for you, but a it show you how great my family is. And, and also what I mean by having to, start back and, and having to pat yourself on the back and, and where I struggle with that. So as I had mentioned in the beginning, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand on my own. Mm -hmm. And I got so frustrated one day, my brother had never spent not one single night away from his kids. The first time he stayed away from his kids is he slept in a cot next to my bed Um, at my grandmother's house 
and to, to be with me and, and to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just how great and cool he is. You know, I wanted to pee standing up mm-hmm. like I've done for 30, for 30 years at that point. And I couldn't. And I was so frustrated. And my brother took me to the bathroom. He held me up. And so I could pee standing up. I peed everywhere, but where I was supposed to pee. And my brother never flinched. And then a few days later, I was able to take myself to the restroom. And I had to pat myself on the back, or I was told to pat myself on the back and acknowledge that I took myself to the restroom. Why the hell do I have to do that? I learned how to pee in the bathroom 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Someone chose a path for me that I'm now having to pat myself on the back at 34 years old for standing and peeing in a toilet. Mm-hmm. That was so shameful to me that that was embarrassing and disgusting to me. I had to pat myself on the back because I walked to the mailbox with a walker to check my mail for my grandmother as my goal for the day. Mm -hmm. I've walked for 30 something years and I'm now having to pat myself on the back for that. I should be, I was in college at the time. I decided to go back to school. I had to drop out. I should have been patting myself on the back for going back to college at my age. I should have been patting myself on the back for working two jobs while paying to go to college at my age, but instead I'm having to drop out of college and I have to pat myself on the back because I could walk to a mailbox. And it was so disgusting to me. But then I realized what's the alternative. My family could have been standing over my body, maybe even still trying to find the person that killed their son never known the story. The media then would have released, oh, gay guy is dead for taking a straight man home for sex when that's not what happened, but that would have been the story out there that my family would have had to have lived with. And my grandmother and my brother and my mom sat and smiled watching me walk with a walker to the mailbox. And that smile, I will pat myself on the back a hundred damn times for it. Yes. You know, um, so I get how frustrating it can be. But when you set that pride aside and think, this is my here and now, this is what I'm dealt with now. How can I control it? How can I drive this car? (laughs) Then you can pat yourself on the back and you're going to like it. Yeah. You said something um, just now, set your pride aside. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I have always been proud of myself. I've always been a worker. I've always been, I call my mom and my grandmother every single day. Not very many grown men do that, but on my way home from work every day, I make a phone call to them. That's honestly kind of part of what helped them realize that something was wrong is it was time for me to call and I wasn't. Mm. You know, um, before the cops had found me, um, how the how the cop actually notified my mom is my mom and my grandmother kept blowing up my phone. And finally, when the cop got there, my phone was ringing and it said mom on my cell phone and he picked it up. 
That's how he was able to find my mother. That's how my mother found out about it, you know? So I, I've always been prideful. I've always been a worker. I've always been an achiever. I've always succeeded at what I've done. And I don't mean that in a cocky way, but if when I was a server, I was the best damn server. I always say, I don't care if you work at McDonald's or if you're the CEO of the company, if you work at McDonald's, be the best burger flipper there, you know? And so, and, and I took a lot of pride in that. I made sure I was one of the best servers. I made sure I was a good bartender. I make sure that I'm a good friend and attentive. And that was all a little taken away from me where I had to step back and think, okay, you know, I've got to put myself first for a bit and I've got to start new patterns and, and a new way of life. And it was hard to set my pride aside to do that. It was hard to think of, am I failing someone because I'm trying to care for myself right now? Hmm. Okay. I knew there was, there was something in there that I wanted to make sure that I didn't gloss over. So you said, gave wonderful examples of you're just that type of person that whatever you're doing, you're going to give it a hundred percent. You're going to do it the best. Doesn't matter if it's something that people consider, you know, a begin uh, entry level job or, or if I'm the CEO, doesn't matter. I'm going to put in that same effort. I'm going to, to represent my work really well, no matter where I am on the ladder. That makes even more sense to me now looking at when you're struggling to do the things that you once didn't have to even think about doing, such as simply being able to stand to use the restroom like you've always done, being able to take a simple walk down to the mailbox, those things being made by no fault of your own, something incredibly difficult to do. Right. And, and the impact that it can have on your self-image, your self-worth, because those are things that you always took care of in a, in a good way. I want to present the best version of myself and want to give want to work for someone else the way I would want them to work for me. I'm going to give you my best right. and then to have that threatened by someone or a circumstance or something. And forgive me, I'm going to have like aching cheeks because I'm smiling a lot, even though, even though we're, we're discussing the darkest, toughest seasons of your life, but I'm smiling because just to even be able to get out of the bed the next day and say, I'm going to face this life and I'm going to do something with it. And that may not even be what happened the first day when you got out of bed. You know, it could have just been, I'm still here. I'm going through the motions. But at some point uh, you took, you made the choice. You, you realize, Hey, I have choices that I can make that person they made some choices for me, but that's over with. And now I get to make the choices. And so I listen to you when you speak and I can hear the work that you have put in to be this version of yourself that you built today, to be a voice that supports others. I can't imagine all of the things that you had to overcome and all of the fears that you had to push to the side in order to make your pathway. So 
I want to take a moment to applaud that. And I can't help it. Like every time we chat, my face looks like this. <laughs> me, me too. Me so. too. Um, I, I feel the same way when we chat, but you know, it's, it's okay to smile and laugh about it. I had to make the decision if I'm going to cry or if I'm going to laugh and I'm tired of crying. Yeah. 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 My goodness, there is just, I'm thinking over this entire conversation and it has just been so enlightening and you're so open and so forthcoming with the deepest, darkest parts of your life and the greatest triumphs of your life. How did you create that openness? Is that naturally just a part of you? Have you always been really open and authentic or is that something you've had to develop? No. So I spent 18 years of my life in the closet. I spent 18 years. I have a feminine voice. I um, have, I'm a smaller guy. I have fashion. I'm noticeably gay. And I'm proud of that. Now people ask me, did you choose to be gay? Which is a silly question. You know, I always ask them, well, did you choose to be straight? (laughs) You know, but, but yes, I did choose to be gay. I am gay and I'm choosing to be who I am. But for 18 years, I was afraid to speak too much. I was afraid to be heard. I was afraid to be seen. I had to keep every thing enclosed. You know, when you think of um, the first time that you have your first kiss with someone you know, when I had that, you can't wait to share it with your brother or your sister or, or your friend or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, when I had my first kiss that actually meant something to me with mm-hmm. a boy, I couldn't tell anybody. Everything in my life had to be a secret. Everything in my life had to be boxed up in this closet. I had people tell me I was going to hell. I, wanted to prove them wrong and, and, and try to create some kind of heaven while I was on earth. If I was going to spend eternity in hell, um, which come to find out is not true by the way, (laughs) or at least I don't believe that for myself, by the way, but, um, but everything had to be kept in these boxes in my closet and the boxes couldn't even be decorated pretty. They had to be brown, ugly boxes that didn't identify me. You know, I cannot let myself shine. Mm. And the minute that my mom and dad sent me down and said, David, you're gay, be who you are and let us love all, all of you and let you love all of you. I busted out of that closet screaming and I have not kept very many secrets since. Now I'll keep someone else's secret. but but with me I've always been an open book it's for 18 years I was closed off for 18 years people couldn't truly love me for Mm -hmm. 18 years I couldn't truly love them and now I get to yeah how did that affect the relationship with yourself the transition from having to hide everything keep everything closed in and then just being able to be how did that affect your view in relationship with you I was so scared. I was so timid and afraid of everything. I would try to deepen my voice. I would try to be someone 
that I'm not. I try to create this character and come to find out with through all of the cliches, I'm not an actor. <laughs> and somehow I missed that branch falling out of the tree. But um, when I got to be me, when I got to learn who I was and create and live this David, mm-hmm. I loved it. I, lo- I loved that journey. And I felt, you know, then when my attack happened, because, you know, I w- went from 18 to 34 being loved and accepted. Of course, I would hear people when I was a, a, a server or a bartender, if if their steak came out cooked wrong, the F person screwed it up. But that's because that's all they had. You know, if I was a woman, I would have been the B word. You know, that that's all you had to throw at me. And if being the F word is the worst thing I've done that day, I'm fine. You know? I can relate to that. Right. And so when when my attack happened and I had to start re- learning the things that I learned starting at 18 that I didn't get to learn at the beginning of my first part of my life. I just felt like I kept getting robbed. Mm. And it it took, it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole. I have a great relationship with God. I love my Jesus you know, I'm going to walk those pearly gates. And it took me a long time to even allow him back into mm-hmm. my life when I accepted who I was. Yeah. You know, um, people are are taught a certain thing based on Jesus's name. And I believed it. And so I was having to make a, de- a decision of, do I want to spend eternity in hell or do I want to try to be somebody that I'm not? And, you know, I dated a girl for four years. We could have got married. We could have had children and I could have lied to her every day. I could have lied to my children every day. I could have became weak and stepped out on her. Um, and cheated on her. I could have left her with a home and three kids and a minimum wage job because she was more focused on being a mother, whatever the case may be. I could have chosen that path because that's what the church was telling me I should do because that's what God wants. But aren't isn't all that a sin too? So it, it was an endless struggle and it seems like every time I would get to a good place with it, some kind of tragedy would happen and I would have to start back over again. The other shoe would drop. One of the things that comes out in that to me is once you get a taste of being yourself for yourself, you'll never go back to any other version of you. And that applies to anything. There are a lot of us who are faking it in some way or another. So in that's something I don't remember who I was speaking with or what I was doing, but I didn't start saying that phrase that way until probably about two or three days ago, I was talking to someone and that just came up and I was, I was talking about my own journey and, and finding 
just my voice after coming up as a black child turned woman in America. And there are a lot of things that I had to hide and, you know, like the texture of my hair needed to be straightened, be considered professional and, you know, whatever. Anyway, all of those things. And I was just telling her when I finally got to the point where I was like, you're just going to have to take me or leave me the way I am. And when I was able to love myself for myself, I'm, you know, just who would ever want to do anything else, be any other version of yourself than who you truly are at that time, at that moment. Everything (laughs) else pales into in comparison to that. Everything else pales in comparison to being yourself for yourself. And it's hard to be in a relationship. People accept this truth. Like you were talking about being in a relationship with someone for four years, living a lie. Your relationship with Christ is the same. You don't need to be lying in that relationship either. Right. Just so we'll accept. Don't be in a relationship lying about who you are. But when you're in a relationship with Christ, It goes much better if you're not lying about who you are in that relationship either. I promise you he can handle it. (laughs) I promise you he can handle it. 100%. Because I've actually had that same thought. I was like, okay, so if I marry this girl and I have a home and children with her and we go to church and we paint this beautiful picture and I'm lying to her, I'm also lying to God, I'm lying to myself, I'm denying myself, those are all sins. Or... I can be me and love one person and be committed to one person and invite God into that. Yeah. And, and then finally I realized what, what kind of gave me hope is about heaven and hell is that if hell is filled with people like me, it can't be that bad of a place, which shows me that, that's not where I'm going, you know? <laughs> I like the way you put that. I am loving this. So I do have a question. Well, one thing I wanted to say, and then I do have a question that I'm just curious what your take is on it. When you said earlier that you were hiding things and your boxes couldn't even be pretty, which I just love the way you put that, <laughs> and that you couldn't let your light shine. I looked over on my desk and I have this cup that I made. I don't know how that shows up. There we go. Never dim your light, sis. Yes. So this is like my reminder. Yes. So this is my reminder. That's why I was saying so many of us have to fight with who we are. We have made a spectacle out of other people's struggle with who they are in a way that's incredibly unfair. We're all fighting that battle, okay? We chose to pick on this person and that person for their battle, but we're all fighting the battle to find ourselves and truly be ourselves and to be authentic and not dim down, watered down versions of ourselves. And how boring would it be if every character in the book was the same? Right. Who would read that book? And with tragedy, one of the things, and I was thinking about this just yesterday, because I had something that happened that I was dealing with. And so I go into my little think tank, <laughs> my brain and, and think through some things. And one of the things I was thinking about is I like to write fiction a lot. And oh, wow. the story can't be flat. No one would read that. 
And so I have discovered if I want the character to do something, I can't just have them do it. The character, once they, once I kind of laid down the foundation of who they are, they, this sounds schizophrenic, but they come to life and they don't, they have their own personality, their own attitudes. And I might say, for example, I want this character to go date this person. And the character is like, I'm not the type of person that would ever date that person. That's not how you created me. So now I've got to take this person through an event, be it good or bad or ugly. They've got to go through some event that changes certain parts of them in a way that they'll be open to doing that thing that they don't wouldn't originally do. And I really feel like that's us in this life. So all of the ugly things that we wish would not happen to us, the unfair things, the terrible, low down, dirty things that happen to us. It adds color to the story. And I don't mean to sound insensitive when I say that, because nobody wants the kind of color, you know, that a lot of us have experienced. But I just kind of think, okay, I guess God is the same way in, in creating as I am, like I create this character, but this character has their own attitude. This character will do what they want to do, even though I have some control and I can guide them. But ultimately the decision is the characters once I've laid the groundwork. And I kind of feel like that's just how our life is. And it helps me to look at the darkest moments in that way. It helped me when I was working through healing uh, from my dad's passing. It was just, that's one of the things that that was added to my story. It, it's a painful part of life, but it's one that none of us escape. So that's how I kind of look at tragic tragedy in my life and work through it is my story. Like you said earlier, it's being written. We're in the middle of this book. So that helps me. That the was other- so beautifully said. Like that's something that, I'm going to carry with me. Mm-hmm. I haven't where, where I'm not a writer. So I don't know those steps and those journeys and that train of thought that uh, you take with, with the characters. And when you said that, it's like all these light bulbs went off. I was like, Oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. That, yeah. um, that is definitely something that I'm taking with me. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking about it. And you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today and blessing so many people and creating this platform and this space had you not had those darker parts of your story. And I've thought about that. I, again, I know so many gay people that we've went out for drinks, uh, my friends and I, uh, for Christmas or Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and they'll be dinner served at the gay bar for the people that don't have family. And some of them are sitting there at the bar by themselves. I've never experienced that. And I never will. I am so lucky and I'm so blessed because my family and friends did not let me lay there and die. Had this guy picked someone else, it might've been one of those guys sitting at the bar by themselves Mm. that would have laid there and died. So if if I was picked for this, I can't let it be in vain. And I I have to do something to change it. Yeah, 
just letting that sit with me because you're definitely doing something. You're, you're definitely making an impact. Definitely. Well, thank you. And thank you for, I'm so glad it brought us together and thank you for being in my life. And I love all little messages you met, like, like you've become a friend of mine and you, you have a special place in my heart. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I have a question. Yeah. And then I want to, and I may edit this out. I really am just curious sure. as to your take on it. And then I want to give you space to make any closing statements that you want to make before we close out. But yeah. I'm curious, do you, do you think there'll ever be a world where there's no need to come out? And I ask that because I've never had to come out as straight. Right. So having to come out to me seems like an extra tax that a person shouldn't have to pay. Right. Um, I would say, you know, in a relationship, it, like we were talking about honesty earlier, like a one-on-one -on -one relationship, the other person needs to know, or if, you know, if you, you need to know if you're both compatible in that way or not, that's one thing. But in my mind, I feel like no one owes me an explanation of their sexuality. That's, right. that's a bizarre request, unless you and I are going to have a relationship. Right. So a And it should be that simple. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it, it's not. But when you, to answer your question, is when, when you think about the history of homosexuality, what people don't realize is even back in biblical times, mm -hmm. you had sex with men for pleasure and women to have babies, you know, and then, and then things evolve and change, you know, like men, a sign of money in class was men wore the dresses and high heels. Mm -hmm. Then that changed, you know? And so, so, so there's constant change. Yeah. Um, and we're getting there when you think about what, what bothers me um, with even the gay community sometimes is they want to like the younger ones will be like, Oh, you're too old to be at the bar or look at that old man over there. But they're the ones that paved this way for us. When, when it's gay pride, if people aren't celebrating the black trans women, they're the ones that did gay pride. They're, they're the ones that started it there. You know, if, if you're not celebrating them, then shame on you. But there, there is progression. I want to be a part of it. I don't know that it will be in my lifetime, but mm -hmm. I do know it's on its way. I have um, friends that uh, I, with, with my story being public, I have friends from all over the world. Um, mm -hmm. on Facebook mm -hmm. and they're messaging me saying, Hey, my 12 year old son is coming out to me. You know, what can I say to them to let them know that it's okay. So it's happening. Um, it's just happening slowly, mm -hmm. but it's happening and I'm choosing to be a part of it with my allies. Okay. I was just curious. Cause I've been, I don't know why that's been really bugging me lately. I feel like 
if I were a lesbian, I would be offended that anyone would expect me to come out. And that maybe that's maybe that's my to to just make an impact with this statement. Maybe that's my straight privilege <laughs> talking. Like I think, you know, maybe that's a distortion that I have. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't owe you none of your business. Unless it's going to be me and you in a romantic relationship, none right. of your business. And you and I had a conversation about this. And it, and it, it's not that um, either one of us are necessarily trying to relate in a comparable kind of way, but mm-hmm. it's when you think about women in the work industry, mm-hmm. gay men and women are in get put in that same. You're you're not as good as this white man over here, you know. So I mean, you can even add the color to that, you know. Um, we, if you're not that rich white man, mm-hmm. you're less than. My sister sent me an article just today that really made me want to cry. And the Wall Street Journal, and the article is entitled, College Was Supposed to Close the Wealth Gap for Black Americans, and the Opposite Happened. So they give these statistics, and I haven't read it yet, but my sister tells me the statistics are Horrible. They give these statistics to those of us who black women who have gotten our education compared to white women who have not. And they're making way more money than us. Oh, even high school dropouts not even graduating high school. That's true. And we'll still make more. It's so frustrating because it's like. It's almost like there's nothing that I could do, which is one of the reasons why I have a hard time working for corporations. I really just want to work for myself because I'm so tired of fighting people to prove that I'm worth what I'm worth. Right. Um, And not only do I fight them, I have to fight my own thoughts because coming up black in America, you get conditioned to think a certain way. You naturally pick up that thought process as well. And so I'm still taking off some of the damage that happened. And there was something that happened the other day that I learned about two of our languages that we didn't bring from Africa. They were languages that my ancestors made here in order to be able to speak and learn how to read uh, in the presence of the people who were enslaving them. So that because it was illegal for them to learn how to do any of this, you would risk your life just trying to learn how to communicate in this country. So they made their own language. And I didn't even know it existed until yesterday. I was supposed to be working yesterday. I spent the whole day studying that language, like with tears in my eyes. And I, when I went online and I don't, I thought I had just stumbled across it, but apparently it's really popular in social media right now. So there's so many black people coming together that are, that are talking to each other about it in comments on videos and stuff. And they're like, this is so amazing. I never knew. And so many of us were like, oh, my God, I feel so special that we thought we had nothing. And I talked about this on your podcast. Uh There's so much that's been taken that you just feel like, you know, a certain way about it. And this was one of those things that I felt like, oh, they're giving something back to us. Like not I I don't even know who first discovered it and kind of got it popular right now, but I'm so thankful for that to learn a new language and I'm 
the language. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm a language junkie, so I've been studying yeah. German for like several years. I've studied oh, wow. Spanish and Russian and all these, but I'm like, forget all the rest of them. I'm going to learn this <laughs> yeah. one. If I have any That's children, cool. I'm going to teach them this language. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to get all off on that. I'm glad you did, because I, I love stuff like that. So, David, I always have a couple of just fun questions that I like to throw in. So I noticed that you have some tattoos, or at least one. So I have two. Two. What are they, and what do they mean to you? So um, this one says "Believe." That's on my wrist. Oh, okay. And it's from um, a song that I wrote um, called "Believe," and it's also you know that band Sugarland I was talking about with the with their yeah. song. Um, this is uh, uh, from one of their songs too, and she has this tattoo. And so it inspired me to get it. Um, I got it, I think maybe like 10 years ago or so. And I was having one of those doubting points in my life of uh, doubting God and where I stood with him. And actually, it's been longer than 10 years. I would say it's probably been 15, 17 years now. Okay. I keep forgetting that I'm older than I, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I got it on my wrist because I wanted to remind myself to believe. And, Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you just have to have those reminders. And so, so that's why I have that. So it's got the, it's got my relationship with God and my journey through so many different things and to remind myself to believe. And then it's got the music aspect to it. So it's all my worlds piled up into one word, on my wrist and it is the one thing that I so many people say oh you're going to regret getting a tattoo you don't need to get this you don't need to do that and there's not one day that's went by that I've regretted it yeah and that you know so important to know why you're getting it yeah I think it makes all the difference for instance I kind of think of Jesus as having tattoos those holes in the palm of his hand and through his feet that right. that has great meaning that we I don't know if I'll ever be able to wrap my head around it, but that's okay. kind of how okay. I view tattoos. And so I was about to get one and then COVID hit and I'm like, no one's getting close to me with a needle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know when I'll ever feel comfortable to get it. But well, I would say I don't care if I have a million tattoos. I don't care if. I'm covered in tattoos. Hmm. I want you to be able to find one single one on my body and say, what's the story behind that one? And me have an amazing story for it. I will not permanently put anything on my body unless I have a great story behind it. Um, So my second tattoo, which you probably haven't seen, but it's a music note behind my uh, left ear. And I am 50% deaf in this ear. Because mm-hmm. this is this ear was cut off in that car accident I was telling you about. Oh. Well, when I wrote Highway 33, um, I don't know if you know who Kenny Chesney is, but he had shown interest in singing the song because his family lives on Highway 33 and he was familiar or is familiar with the car accident. Mm-hmm. And so when Sad and Mad and Glad and all these Against Drunk Driving Places were putting out the song and then Kenny was showing interest in it. I put a music note behind um, my ear that I'm 50% deaf in from that car accident to represent that. 
Yeah. See, those are the kind you don't regret those, like you right. said, because it's the story behind it. Right. So when people yeah. see that one tattoo, they're you know, we've we've got a 15 minute conversation about it. Exactly. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. The one I wanted to get, I have a mole like right here. Uh-huh. And uh I wanted to make it into a semicolon butterfly. Oh yeah. I love butterflies. So one of my childhood memories is when I learned how to ride a bike. My mom took me to the park and Oh, it was a painful process. Let me tell you, there were these little posts like every few feet and I kept falling. I wouldn't just fall and hit the ground. I would fall on these poles. So I would get hit on the way to the ground to get hit by the ground. And so anyway, when I finally did learn how to ride my bike, I made a really horrible game out of it. We had these, I can't remember where we were living, maybe Illinois. We had these really big caterpillars green juicy ones with these spots on them and I would run over them with my bike I really feel very terrible about that I do um yeah I would run over them with my bike it was a game gosh I was weird um (laughs) so my mom saw me doing that and she told me to stop she said you know that might be something that you think is ugly now you don't appreciate the beauty of it but it's going to go through a metamorphosis and it's going to come out as something beautiful and you are stopping the process. And so I didn't do it anymore after that. And I ended up finding in the bushes a cocoon. Uh, And I didn't know how long, I don't remember how long, I think it takes maybe like 14 days or something like that for a butterfly to go through that process. But I found one and every day I would go to the park and watch this just to see if I can catch it coming out. And I did. I caught it coming out. And of course, the next lesson was don't help it because you'll, you'll, you won't, it won't be able to build up the strength in his wings if you help it. And so I learned two beautiful lessons just from that experience. Well, three, don't stop the process and appreciate (laughs) the beauty in everything, no matter what stage is in. But I learned the same for myself that I'm in a process and and like most, well, not most of us, all of us, we're in a process and something beautiful can happen if if we don't stop that process. We're in that cocoon and it starts to come open and we struggle with it. We hate to struggle in life, but that's how we get strength in our wings. And so anyway, one of the hardest things I went through was losing my father. And after that, that was when I decided I was ready for a tattoo. Never thought I would ever want one before. But I was like, I want a tattoo. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with it first. And one day I was, you know, getting dressed and I saw that little mole. I was, hey, a semicolon. Like that wasn't the end of my story. And it wasn't the end of his either. I do believe that we don't just go away and cease to exist. I believe we still exist. And so I wanted that semicolon to represent that. And then the butterfly represents how life has changed me and and, and how I'm growing and developing. So that's what I want. And that would be. I think you should do it because like we just talked about, I mean, having a story behind it and the life lesson that because at that age, you didn't know that that simple line that your mom was telling or that lesson your mom was teaching Mm -hmm. you of just, you know, don't don't stop this process. And still to this day, 20, 30 years later, however long it's been, you know, you're carrying that with you and it's making more sense every day, you know? (laughs) As soon as I feel like I'm not risking my life to get it. Right. um, (laughs) I'll I'll get it probably. 
Are there any closing thoughts or remarks that is on your heart to share before we close out? The most important lesson I think that I've learned through this that I would like to share um, that I would want people to really take with them through their journey of recovering is don't ever compare your story to someone else's. Their journey might not seem as bad as yours or as tragic as yours, but if that's their path, that's theirs. I learned this lesson the hard way. Um, someone had messaged me maybe like within the year, you know, the fir- within the first year of my attack. So I was still physically, mentally, emotionally recovering. And, uh, they had asked me out on a date and, um, I responded back and I said, um, I, I'm, I'm just not there. I've had a rough year. I, I I'm, I'm just not there you know, and he responded back and he said, yeah, I've had a rough year too. My mom and my, or my dad and my sister were in a car accident and my sister broke her thumb and I lost my all senses. I was trying not to cuss. I I lost all sense. I was like, you have had a rough year because your dad got a flat tire and your sister broke her thumb. And I went off about it. And luckily I had therapy the next day and my therapist was like, David, you cannot compare. You can't. And it was such an awakening that I needed. And the moment that I stopped thinking that mine was greater than or less than Mm -hmm. I could really get onto a healthier path and being a part of someone else's recovery, I could have done damage to that man by saying what I said to him um, and not acknowledging his journey that he's on right now. Yeah. And so, so my advice to everybody is don't ever compare, let their journey be theirs and let yours be yours and just use each other in a positive way. Yeah. Very good point. And, and we talked about this a little bit in our pre-chat that um, I had a similar situation with my pinky. It was just my pinky, but my whole world stopped because of my pinky. And now that other things have happened to me, I look back at my own thing, like it was your pinky, you know, this is, you know, so we even do it when it's just us comparing ourselves to ourselves. But right. what I mean by bringing that up is that was tragic for me at that time. That was the height of what I had experienced. Now I have experienced something else and I have a more rounded view. But the point is you got to honor that person where they are in their journey. I am terrified of what if him sharing and opening up with me and me discarding it the way that I did and speaking to him the way that I did shut him off from ever being able to comfortably open up about anything ever again of something that could be bigger and deeper. Mm -hmm. What, what if I did that to him? You know, I was not able to track him down um, to apologize. I, six years later, I still think about it and pray about it. It's bringing tears to my eyes because what, what if I 
made him a victim of me and my tragedy because the way I treated him. And that's heavy to carry. I hope that he is stronger than that. I hope that he was able to think, okay, this dude is just not in the right place and has never thought about me again. But six years later, I still think about that. And I'm so, if he's listening, (laughs) I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, I am so sorry, but I'm also so thankful of the lesson that that taught me. Yeah. And that speaks to your character that you don't want to be an offense to someone. And I hope that you have forgiven yourself for that. Cause the other truth is, is you were in a certain place in your journey too. And so we got to honor and respect that as well. Absolutely. It was a learning experience and we have them. The only time we, you know, fail is if we refuse to learn from it and you took the lesson and I'm pretty sure we're much better on the other side of it and and blessed others with that lesson as well, just like you've just done just now. So it matters where we are in our journey that we honor and that we respect that. And then we hold that space for each other to let that other person have that space to, to just be wherever you are, just be. So David, this has been absolutely amazing. And of course, I knew we would go way over time. I know. <laughs> we always do. I knew we would, yeah. yeah. I just love talking to you. You're just such, your aura, you're, you're just so enlightening. And, and you always say things that stick with me. And I'm so thankful that you have been a part of my show and now allow me to be a part of yours. And each time you give me something else to carry with me. So thank you for all of your lovely gifts. Likewise, my friend. So tell people where can they find you in social or your podcast? How can they connect? Yeah, on all the medias, I am Surviving Abuse Podcast, um, David Keck. And then I'm on all the podcast formats, um, Apple and Spotify is where I spend a lot of my focus. Mm -hmm. And it is Surviving Abuse Podcast. Awesome. And I'm going to plug it again. Make sure you catch his podcast. And especially if you've been the victim of any type of violation to your body, to your personal space, please have a listen. There is a lot to learn and to, to glean from everyone sharing their stories with each other. Special thank you to David Keck of the Surviving Abuse Podcast for joining me on this episode. If you would like any more information on the Fear to Fortitude podcast, please stop by the Fear to Fortitude Instagram page today.